Thank you for joining the Home Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at myhomechurch.org. Amen. The Lord always confirms things, but it's like we're on a, on a, on a real path of something divine. <laughs> So as you're, as you're turning to Acts 1, I, I really felt, um, I felt to uh, bring us into awareness of where we're at on, on the Christian calendar, meaning uh, only a few weeks ago we celebrated Palm Sunday, we celebrated uh, Resurrection Sunday, uh, but then what happens after that? A lot of times we just move on, but it's quite significant. Jesus, after he resurrected, uh, he was actually on the earth for 40 days of which he appeared. We're going to read a verse where he appeared. To many of his followers, he provided many proofs to his resurrection, and he specifically taught on the kingdom of God. And then after 40 days, so after 40 days after Jesus resurrected, on the 40th day, he told his disciples to wait in Jerusalem to receive power from on high, and then he ascended. So 40 days after the resurrection is the ascension, where Jesus takes his rightful place at the right hand of the Father. And now the disciples are waiting for the promise, right? The promise that, the, that Jesus had given them. And so 10 days after the ascension, which would be 50 days after the resurrection, you have the outpouring of the Spirit known as Pentecost, which literally means 50th. So 50 days after the resurrection, the Spirit of God is poured out. And I, I want to I just put before you, that's June 5th. So this year on the calendar, it's going to be June 5th. But I feel, I feel the Lord is just calling us to really lock into this uh, come with hungry hearts, come with hearts full of expectation that I think, I don't, I don't think it's a matter of like waiting to a certain day. I believe like it's happening and it will happen. This is meant to mark the last days. But I, I want you to know, I just want your hearts to be stirred that what happened on Pentecost was so significant. It was the ushering in of the age of the spirit. That's not just like to be taken lightly. This was a prophesied epoch. It was a prophesied period of when the spirit would come and when the Spirit comes, what you begin to see is revival and renewal and restoration of all things. The Scriptures testify over and over that the Spirit will be like a stream. And as it touches barren and wastelands, <laughs> they will be resurrected. And what's amazing is that God does just sovereignly just touch it. But as we're going to see, God wants to baptize us in the Holy Spirit so that we actually become sources for this river of life to flow out of. So it's not just God just going out there now and touching. He's actually touching a people, and the people are going under the unction of the Holy Spirit. And so what we're celebrating at Pentecost is there's a shift where we move from the, from the, the period of law into the period of grace, and the Spirit of God has come. And it's not, it's not just a, a time, a personal thing, right? A lot of times I view the Scriptures in a very personal lens, and yes, Pentecost is a personal revival, is a personal renewal, but it's even better than that. It's on a cosmic level, like Pentecost is the spirit being poured out, and as we'll see in the scriptures, it's the hope that, that lands. It's the hope that geographical regions get touched by the spirit of God, and they actually are radically transformed. Guys, we need to get locked into a bigger vision than just learning how to connect first-time visitors into ministries. <laughs> I'm all for how to do that, but God's vision is renewal. God's vision is city transformation, and we're in that age where we can see that. Amen? We're in the messianic age, meaning the king... And his kingdom has come, and now we've been empowered by the Spirit, right? That's what the Lord wants to do, empower us with the Spirit to bring his kingdom. So I'll probably say this a few times, but Pentecost goes well beyond just a, 
a personal regeneration. It's, it's beyond just an indwelling spirit for salvation. Uh, Jesus did not say, wait in Jerusalem to be born again. He said, wait in Jerusalem to be clothed with power from on high. And I believe that's available here this morning. <laughs> so let's look at Acts 1. Is everyone there? And I'm going to read verses uh, 1 through 5. So I'm going to read verses 1 through 5. Now, the writer of Acts is the, uh, is the man by the name of Luke. So he writes Luke, the Gospel of Luke, he writes Acts. So it's actually meant to be read as one continuous story. And so it begins, Acts 1.1, Luke says, In the first book, O Theophilus, what's the first book? That's Luke. Uh, we're gonna, each week we're going to peel back some layers to have better understanding of what it is that happened at Pentecost. But you can't really understand this without walking through the Gospel of Luke, which we will do in an upcoming week. But he says, in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. Verse 3 says, he, Jesus, presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. So that's what I just said. If you were to look at the Christian calendar, we're in that time period right now. This 40-day period where Jesus is alive, he's on the earth, and he is, is by many proofs revealing himself and preaching on the kingdom of God. But as I said, he'll ascend, and then he'll tell his disciples, wait, and there's a, this 10-day, if you would, prayer meeting. They're worshiping, praying, fasting. Sounds a lot like the prayer room. <laughs> and, uh, and that's when the Holy Spirit will be released. So let's look at verse 4. It says, and while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. This is going to be a big part of where we're going today. He said, wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So Jesus said, wait in Jerusalem. I'm going, but wait in Jerusalem. I go to the Father so that you can receive the promise of the Father, which here he says is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, what does it mean to be baptized in the Spirit? Well, think about what does it mean to be baptized in water? It means to be fully immersed. It means to come out drenched, soaked, saturated. The call here again is something that goes beyond just the indwelling spirit, but it is for our lives to be drenched, to be soaked, to be saturated with the spirit of the living God. Now, what really has caught my attention, what I want to speak in this morning, is that Jesus says, this is the promise of the Father. This is the promise of the Father, the Holy Spirit. Do you know that the Holy Spirit, that's his, one of his titles, he's the promise? John, uh, uh, um, Paul said in Ephesians 1.13, he says, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Why is this so important? For a lot of reasons. But one, what it means is that the Holy Spirit is not an afterthought. There's a lot of confusion and misunderstanding about Holy Spirit. He's like the weird uncle that shows up, we don't know what to do. <laughs> or, um, like, we just don't know what to make sense of his role. There's so much confusion. Listen, Holy Spirit, he's not an impersonal force. He's not an energy. He's not a karma. He's not a feeling. Now, he is powerful, and when you encounter Holy Spirit, because he's God, a lot of feelings arise, but he is a person. You can, he has a will. You can grieve the Holy Spirit. 
Holy Spirit is essential. Here's the part, is that it, since it's a promise of the Father, Holy Spirit wasn't just tacked on, like we don't know what to do, but we've got to include him somehow. Holy Spirit is absolutely essential to God's plan of redemption and renewal and restoration of all things. It is essential, meaning this, this promise is so key to the gospel message. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is an essential part of the gospel message. Meaning we can't move on from, I understand we need to understand, uh, know the death and resurrection of Christ, but if you stop there, you miss an essential part, which is that it was being prepared for the promise. Jesus was actually setting the stage for the promise to come. Amen? And do you know that this promise wasn't just stirred up in the verse I just read? In other words, Jesus didn't just bring this idea of promise into the disciples' minds at his ascension. Do you know that this promise spans hundreds and hundreds of years? (laughs) And we're going to look at, actually, there are four great prophetic promises. There are many promises in the Old Testament, but there are four great prophetic promises over the outpouring of the Spirit. So when Jesus says this is the promise of the Father, he's talking about something that for hundreds and hundreds of years has been longed for, waited for, anticipated, looking for, and now it's come. My friend, we live in the age of the promise. (laughs) This is glorious news. And so we can have faith this morning that God will baptize his church in the Holy Spirit. Now, before we look at those four promises, come real quick to chapter 2, please, of Acts. And specifically, I want to read verse 32. And now I'm on the other side of Pentecost in Acts. Holy Spirit has fallen. It's been poured out. Peter, if you know the story, he gets up, he's preaching. He's giving context to explain what it is that they're experiencing. And in the midst of this sermon, the first sermon ever preached under the unction of the Holy Spirit, look at Acts 2, verse 32. Acts 2, 32, Peter's preaching to the multitudes, says, This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Verse 33, Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit. He has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. So it says here, Peter says, what you're experiencing is what? It's the promise of the Father. There's an amazing statement. When was this promise given? Not until Jesus ascends. I feel like I'm just being invited into something really glorious as to why it waited for that moment. But think about the preciousness of this promise, that it could not be given to Jesus until he reached his final place, the right hand of the Father, in a glorified, victorious, exalted state. Now the Father says, now you can give the promise. Now you can give it to him. What is the promise? (laughs) Let me say this, actually. I want to say this. All throughout Scripture, we're not going to be able to read it all, you see Jesus bent on going to the Father. And you see so often the connection to the going to the Father with the pouring out of the Spirit. I want to put before you that just as committed as Jesus was to come to the earth to seek and save the lost, he was just as committed to go to heaven, to go to the Father, in order that the Spirit would be poured out on the church. In other words, we are so confident that Jesus' purpose for coming to earth is seek and save the lost. I want us to be just as confident that the overwhelming testimony of the scriptures is he had the same intensity to get back to the Father so that the Spirit could be poured out. 
And it says in this scripture I read that the promise, again, baptism of the Holy Spirit, he, says it's, he said it's the pouring out. What does it mean for something to be poured out? In one sense, it means to fully empty yourself. So at Pentecost, God, literally the literal translation is the spirit of the Lord emptied himself upon his people. He wasted nothing, gave all of himself. But the second thing is what do we mean when we say it's pouring outside? We do not mean that it is drizzling. We don't mean that it's misting. We don't mean that there's a small drip. When we say it's pouring outside, what we're saying is if you go outside, you will be drenched. <laughs> the promise of Pentecost is that the servants of God would be drenched with the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Listen, I, know, I want you to know, I, I'm, I'm speaking this not from the physician's uh, perspective. I speak as a patient <laughs> who is in desperate need of, of, of the pouring out of the Spirit freshly upon my life. I want my life to drip with the Holy Spirit. You say, how do you know? We'll go through some of these things, but, but one thing I would say is, do you ever have to convince someone who's dripping wet from the rain? <laughs> so if we're questioning, am I dripping with this, it's a good sign to say, Lord, I, I, I need you to pour out upon my life this morning. I want you to fill dry places, Lord. I know there's so much more that I've read in this book, and I don't want to be an outsider to it. We're praying for your empowerment. One more verse, and then we'll look at the four um, prophecies. Come down to verse 38. Peter keeps preaching. The, the, um, the crowds are so convicted by the anointing that's on him that they literally stop his message and say, brother, what shall we do? <laughs> I love this. As one who talks often on the word of God, uh, they didn't wait for an altar call. <laughs> uh, the Lord was moving so mightily, they, they stopped the message and say, brother, what shall we do? And here's Peter's response in verse 38, still in chapter 2. And Peter said to them, repent, and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now look at verse 39. For the promise, there it is again, the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. So who is this promise for the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Every single person. He says, for you, what does he mean? He's speaking to the Jews first. He says, for you, the Jews. Then he says, for your children. Now he's saying, this isn't something reserved for the apostolic period. My friends, this is generational. This is marks the church age. He says, your children's children will have access to the outpouring of the Spirit. And then he says, and to you who are far off. That is a phrase used to describe Gentiles, non-Jews. Uh, Paul speaks in Ephesians about how Christ preached peace to those who were near and those far off. So the summary of this is Peter is saying everyone, <laughs> everyone who comes in the faith in Christ has access to the promise of the Father to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. The glorious news this morning, guys, the, the, the promise that spanned hundreds and hundreds of years, Pentecost is the celebration of the, of the arrival of the promise. We live in the age of promise. <laughs> we live on the other side of fulfillment. It's here. <laughs> like there, I, sometimes I'm blown away. I'm, I'm like, I'm not grateful enough for the, for the time period I'm living in. <laughs> but there was a time when prophets and others and Israel was longing for the day God would pour out his spirit. And we live in that time. And knowing, knowing that a promise is within reach will actually stir your heart to have hunger and faith to go after it. Knowing a promise is within reach will provoke you to long for it. 
In fact, I, I believe one of the key ways to encounter and receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit is expectation, or in essence, faith, right? Think about it. When Jesus told his disciples uh, before Pentecost to, to wait, they waited for 10 days. They were worshiping, praying, fasting. Do you think that they were just kind of like mindlessly doing that? No, no, no. There was an expectation to their prayer and fasting. They were waiting. And when expectation meets God's faithfulness, a lot can happen. <laughs> and a lot will happen this morning and the weeks to come with that. So I, I believe God is a master of building expectation. I do. And I, I, I want you to know that when God comes through on his promises, this goes beyond just baptism of the Holy Spirit, uh, you're never underwhelmed. You're never disappointed. You're never saying that's it. It's the Ephesians 3.20 principle. It always goes above and beyond all that we can ask or think. That's how I view Pentecost. There was such a buildup of divine expectation when God came, it far exceeded what they thought it was going to be. And so I, I want to go through these quickly, these four prophetic promises in the Old Testament. And I want, I, I'm hoping my own heart, all of our hearts would be stirred and provoked with an expectation for God to do this again. Amen? So let's go to um, Isaiah 32 is where we'll start. Isaiah 32. In the same way that I believe God was developing a groan and an ache in his people over the hundreds of years prior to the coming of the Spirit at Pentecost, I believe... I honestly, I feel like the Lord wanted me to start with this a few weeks in advance, not because we're waiting for June 5th, but however the Lord works today and weeks to come, I believe he's developing a groan in our hearts as well. Because look, guys, expectation, I find that when my expectation is low, when it's little, little happens. <laughs> like God's grace does trump those things, I want to be clear, but when I look at a spiritual principle, I find that where faith is really rising, there's a lot of God activity. And may our faith rise for what was prophesied would happen when the spirits poured out, knowing this is available today. Amen? All right, so everyone's in Isaiah 32. So this is about Isaiah 700, maybe at most 800 years prior to Christ, prior to Pentecost. So you're looking at 800 years. Remember, there's many promises, but this is, I'm going through four of the great ones is what it's considered. Now, Isaiah 32 in the verse that I'm going to be reading, it falls in a section which is chapters 32 to 35 of Isaiah, which is basically a section of restoration and renewal. And the whole thing hinges on verse 1 of Isaiah 32. This is not the verse I want to highlight, but you need to see it. Isaiah 32 verse 1 says, Behold, a king will reign in righteousness, and princes will rule in justice. So when will this period of renewal and restoration and, revi and revival come when this righteous king comes. Who do you think that is? <laughs> that is Jesus. Jesus has arrived on the scene. We are, the, the initial fulfillment of Isaiah 32 to 35 has started, guys, because the righteous king ha has come. So here's, here's the way to understand this, this passage. Verses 1 through 8 of Isaiah 32 is all about, it, it just describes this place of renewal, restoration, hope, Again, revival, put whatever words you want there, but it's all about what happens with this king coming. But then verses 9 to 14, it's very important to hear, it almost goes back, it, it's, the order is reversed. It actually describes the state of God's people prior to the coming of this righteous king. 
And the way it describes it is the people were spiritually blind and complacent. In other words, you've got a people that are just, they're out of alignment with God. And amazingly, God then prophesied in Isaiah 32, 15, what will happen, what will it take for a spiritually blind, complacent, almost separated people to be reignited with fire once again? Well, let's read in verse 15. What is God's solution? He says, none of this will change over my people until what? Verse 15. Until the Spirit is poured upon us from on high. And the, will, listen, and the wilderness becomes a fruitful field, and the fruitful field is deemed a forest. <laughs> the people are, it's like they're, they're wayward, they're wandering, spiritually blind and complacent. And God says, here's the antidote. This spiritual bankruptcy will only change when my spirit is poured out from on high. This, my friends, is why we long for fresh outpourings of the Holy Spirit over this city. Because when we look at the state, we recognize that our own ingenuity will never be enough. Our own slick advertisement will never be enough. What we need and what we're crying out for is for the Spirit from on high to come down. Well, I say it this way a lot. Lord, we don't need to work something up. We need something to come down. Lord, we, we are in need, God, of you to pour out freshly your spirit. For this is the solution to all that we see taking place today. And when this spirit comes and is poured out, this is what was prophesied that began at Pentecost. Look at the next line. It says, and the wilderness becomes a fruitful field, and the fruitful field is deemed a forest. Now, prophetic language is steeped in symbolism and imagery. Some... What you have here is imagery that's really probably describing more than a geographical condition, it's describing a spiritual condition, whether it's over a region or an individual. Now to be very clear, uh, I have read through revivals where the spirit was poured out and the literal land was changed as well. Like actually where they couldn't harvest crops, it became fruitful and the land was blessed. Uh, so I don't want to disregard that, but when you read language like this, what it's really describing more than anything is a spiritual climate. It's describing the condition of a soul, whether it's for an individual again or a city. And what this is saying is that there will be places that spiritually are like wildernesses. They are dry, depleted, and barren. But the promise is, is that when the Spirit is poured out, these barren, dry, fruitless places will be so transformed, they will begin to bear fruit. We need, to, we need to circle this and put MB next to it, or a Long Island next to it. Now, this is what we're desiring to see take place. And it's not just for the region, it's for our own hearts. Guys, if you feel depleted and dry, the Lord wants to fill you this morning. He wants to fill you this morning, where I mean we are drenched, we are soaking in the presence of the Lord. The promise here is that when the Spirit is poured out, He will reverse everything. He will reverse what is sick, sad, broken, and lacking. He will transform it and make it alive, healthy, joyful, and glad. <laughs> this is the hope of what happens when God's Spirit is poured out. And again, as I mentioned before, this is, you have to see like Pentecost on a cosmic level. It's, it's bigger than individual lives. We're talking about regions being touched by the Spirit of God being poured out. So now come with me to Isaiah 44. Here's the second one. I just trust as we work through these, if 
faith in our heart will be stirred, and then we're going to pray, <laughs> release, release what the Lord is stirring up. So Isaiah 44, again, same, probably same, similar time period, but you're looking at seven, 800 years prior to the coming of Christ, and another promise is given. This is what Jesus had in mind when he said this is the promise of the Father. He had scriptures like this in mind. Isaiah 44, I'm going to read in verse 1. It says, But now hear, O Jacob, my servant, Israel, whom I have chosen. Thus says the Lord who made you, who formed you from the womb and will help you. Fear not, O Jacob, my servant, Jeshurun, which means upright, whom I have chosen. Here's the promise. For I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon your offspring and my blessing upon your descendants. Now you notice how it almost words it where blessing and the pouring out of the spirit is the same thing. Because that's how it's found in the scriptures. God's river, the spirit of God, wherever it touches, it blesses. <laughs> Meaning like the fullness of God and, and, and who he is, it reverses everything that was affected by the curse. So the blessing of God is the pouring out of the spirit. And then in verse four, it says, they shall spring up among the grass like willows by flowing streams. And then finally, verse five, it says, this one will say, I am the Lord's. Another will call in the name of Jacob and another will write on his hand the Lord's and name himself by the name of Israel. So let me just say this, who is this promise for? We know it's for the upright. That's what Jeshurun means. So not just, it's not just a blanket promise for Israel. I want to be clear in this. It's Israel upright, meaning it's those who put their faith in Christ. But it's not just for the upright of Israel. It's for the nations as well. How do we know that? Verse 5. What verse 5 is saying is that those who formerly never identified with Yahweh or Israel or the house of Jacob, when the Spirit is poured out, they will now say, we belong to him. This is what we see in Acts. Once the Spirit of God was poured out, the doors were opened to bring in the foreigners as well. So as we see fresh outpourings of the Spirit in this house, I believe it's going to draw in all peoples in this city <laughs> that formerly said, I hated God, I wanted nothing to do God, God is not real. They're now going to say, uh, I belong to Israel. <laughs> they will say, they will write the name of the Lord on themselves in a figurative way. Maybe actually, but, but they will say, I belong to the Lord, right? And what is the promise here again? Verse 3, I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon your offspring. So the promise is I will pour out my spirit, meaning God says there's a day coming when I will uh, consume people, my people, with myself. It's my spirit. Notice it's not a spirit. It's not the spirit. It's my spirit, <laughs> which warrants a whole topic in itself. But we are being clothed with God's very own presence, which means since Pentecost has happened, as believers in the new covenant, we should never read Isaiah 44 and be settled with not being drenched in the Holy Spirit. Because this is saying that we have access to the Spirit of God being poured out upon our lives. And what happens when the Spirit's poured out? I notice three things here. Number one, says, fear not, O Jacob, my servant. One of the things that happens when we're clothed with power is boldness comes on our life. Fear is removed. Fear of man, fear of many things. You see this in Peter himself, but, but fear is dispelled. The spirit of timidity is kicked out by the spirit of God coming and clothing us. 
The second thing that I notice is that when the Spirit is poured out on your life and my life, is that every longing of our heart is satisfied because it says, I will pour out uh, water on thirsty ground, thirsty land, which means our hearts in a region is thirsty. We're looking for something. But when God pours out his spirit, that which we're looking for, we find in him. And then finally, the, the, the last thing I see here is that when the spirit is poured out, we shall flourish. Verse four says, they shall spring up among the grass like willows by flowing streams. So when the Spirit of God is poured out upon our lives, we flourish, meaning no matter how desert-like conditions in your life may appear, you will flourish. You will be like a tree planted along the streams. (laughs) And it actually speaks to where this this flow is current. It's constantly happening, constantly uh, experiencing the power and presence of God. Amen? All right, come with me to Ezekiel for the third one. Ezekiel chapter 39. Ezekiel 39, I'm going to pick it up in verse 28. Again, Jesus says, wait in Jerusalem for the promise of the Father. This is a verse that Jesus would have in mind when he says that. Here's the third of these three great prophetic promises. This is about 600 BC. So Isaiah, 8 to 700 now, 100 to 200 years later, God is stirring up his people again to long for the promise of the Father. I'm going to read verse 28, Ezekiel 39. Then they shall know that I am the Lord their God because I sent them into exile among the nations and then assembled them into their own land. I will leave none of them remaining among the nations anymore. So stop. This message is given that the context is Israel is dispersed among the lands. This is amazing. One of the things I've noticed is God's spirit is always promised to be poured out when Israel seems to be in a measure of crisis. A lot of times through their even own rebellion. The point is the biblical pattern is crisis and glory go hand in hand. And the reason why that excites me is because when I see even trends of this nation or I look at this city, I think it's all prime for an outpouring of the Spirit. I believe when we look at the biblical pattern, God never told Israel, now that you've got it together, I will pour out the Spirit. It was actually when they were most broken, God says, a day is coming where I'm going to deal with this and I'm going to renew and revive you when I come with my Spirit. So then verse 29, here's the promise. He says, I will not hide my face anymore from them. When will he not hide his face anymore? When I pour out my spirit upon the house of Israel, declares the Lord. (laughs) So as Israel is dispersed, God makes a promise that basically I will not forsake you, I will not leave you, but it's even better than that. I will no longer hide my face. When will you know this happens? When I pour out my spirit. The pouring out of the spirit at Pentecost is a sign of God's eternal covenant with us. He's making covenant with us. And the covenant that he makes here is that even though my face was hidden, he says my face will no longer be hidden when the Spirit of God is poured out. We don't have enough time to unpack the power and the beauty and the necessity of having God's face turned towards us. For the ultimate blessing in the scriptures was to have God's face shine upon you. And so what this is saying is that when God pours out his spirit, it will be the ultimate blessing because it's the face of God now turning towards you. Moses longed to see the face of God, but he was denied. But in the new covenant, the pouring out of the spirit is the sign of God's face, the fullness of who he is and his favor towards your life. It's an incredible thing. When will this happen? He says, when I pour out the spirit on the house of Israel. In Pentecost, when the spirit was poured out, do you know what Peter said in his message? 
Chapter 2, verse 36, he said, let all the house of Israel hear today. In other words, he made a statement showing that Ezekiel 39, it's starting. <laughs> the, the Spirit of God was poured out on the house of Israel. God, God's face is turned towards us now. <laughs> it's an incredible thing. All right, last one. I want to really hone in on this. Let's come to Joel. 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 It's my Long Island accent. Joel. <laughs> Joel 2. You guys tracking with me? So I'll give you a sec. Joel 2. The spirit that's promised to turn wastelands and wilderness into fruitful places. That's a sign of God's face turns towards us. The spirit that would cause fear to be swallowed up. Our thirst to be satisfied. All of that, we're in it now. So Joel 2, if you are familiar with Pentecost, you'll know that this is incredibly significant, this particular promise, because when the Spirit of God was poured out and Peter stood up, this is the promise that Peter quoted. So it is of utmost importance for us as New Covenant believers to know this, because there are specific reasons as to why I think Peter chooses this out of all the other promises. Now here is really quick the background. Once again, Israel is not in a good state. Israel is in a actually terrible, devastated state. The scriptures say that there was a four-year locust plague that came, and each year there was a different wave of locusts. So four years of locusts, each year was a different one. It decimated them. For an agricultural society, they had no crops. Their financial like, economy was broken. In fact, God opens up the book of Joel saying, stop for a moment and think. Have you ever experienced anything like this? And then in the midst of that, God then begins to call the people to assemble, to begin to fast, worship, pray. And on the other side of that, God says, here's what's going to happen. I am going to pour out my spirit and renew and revive everything. Let's read verse 28. I'll read it through. Joel 2, verse 28. And I'll read it to verse 32. It says, and it shall come to pass afterward. Meaning that means a future date. That I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. <laughs> and your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days I will pour out my spirit. Verse 30. And I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and columns of smoke. Verse 31. The sun shall be turned to darkness, the moon to blood, before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, which means literally the return of the Lord, the day of the Lord. And then the last section that Peter would have quoted, it says, and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. All right, this is really important that we're gonna, when we're going to start praying over people. This is what Peter quoted. Now, when Peter quotes it, he changes verse 28. It shall, verse 28 here says, it shall come to pass afterward, meaning at a future date, when Peter quotes it, he says, this is what Joel uttered. In the last days, the Spirit would be poured out on all flesh. Why is that significant? Because the last days, just so we know, is the moment Jesus ascended, we entered into the last days. The last days is from the ascension of Christ to his return. In other words, it's the entirety of the church age. The last days is not some like final few years on the earth. 
We have literally been in the last days. We are in the last days, and we will be in the last days. And Peter says the last days, plural. And what he's saying is the last days, meaning the entirety of the church age, should be marked by fresh outpouring after fresh outpouring after fresh outpouring. Like what we're reading in Joel and what we read in the book of, of Acts, like that should not go away. The power of Pentecost was made for the entire church age. In fact, what I read at the end is it says all these things will happen before, or what it means is until the great and awesome day of the Lord. Meaning we should expect to see the outpouring of the Spirit until the return of the Lord. <laughs> Do you know that prominent early church leaders like Justin, Origen, Irenaeus, have you guys ever heard of these, these individuals? These are prominent early church figures highly respected in the second and third centuries. Do you know that you can go find historical books and letters written by them of where they give testimony after testimony of the power of God moving mightily in the church? That's second and third century. That's well after the apostolic age which many want to say somehow God has gone silent after that. No, 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 my friends. The only reason why the power of Acts is not moving as it, as it was, it began to wane in the church, I believe, because there's apathy and worldliness, and we started, we started locking into man's traditions and losing sight of what it really looks like to be a New Testament believer. <laughs> but it was never God's decisive will for the power of God to be opened up and then removed. For God does not open up things and then return backwards. He always moves forward. He goes from glory to glory, from faith to faith. The new covenant is superior to the old covenant. He never opens a window of something more superior and then takes us back into something inferior. The only thing that we should see in the book of Acts uh, compared to today is what was started should be growing. <laughs> it should be growing. And I believe God is awakening. Like there's a revival happening in church where we're hungering for the power of God again to be seen through through our gatherings. And so let's, let's read that first part again. It says, And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. One of the mistakes that is made regarding Pentecost is the thought that this was the first time the Spirit showed up on the scenes. <laughs> uh, that is not the case. Holy Spirit has been very active from the beginning. <laughs> He's not only active in the big story of redemption, like creation, new creation. He was, I, I'm actually, my eyes are being opened, this, opened up to this more and more. He was so active in the lives of individuals as well. So you say, so what is the big deal about Pentecost? Everything that was happening in the Old Testament, it's been now opened up into the fullness of it. In other words, I picture this. Old Covenant was like we were watching a uh, tube TV, 13-inch black and white. <laughs> New Covenant is a 70-inch high-definition TV now. <laughs> the thing has been opened up. In what way? Two primary ways. Number one, the Spirit is now universal. See, it says the Spirit will be poured out on all flesh. That doesn't mean everyone and everyone. It means everyone who puts their faith in Christ you have the promise of being baptized in the Holy Spirit. It's no longer reserved for certain individuals or just leaders as it was in the Old Covenant, but the promise is all flesh. It literally makes a statement to say, young and old. It says it doesn't matter your social status, free or slave. It doesn't matter your gender, male and female. Literally, it breaks down all these categories and says, everyone in this room, if you are in Christ, have the hope of the Spirit God being poured out on you. Let's keep reading it. It says, I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. And your young men shall see visions. 
even on the male and female servants. In those days, I will pour out my spirit. Guys, we live in the days that Moses longed for. Moses, in, in Numbers eleven twenty nine, there were two men who had the gift of prophecy. The Spirit of God was resting on them. And Joshua came to Moses and basically said, make him stop. You're the prophet. And he says, and Moses makes an amazing statement. He says, I wish that all had the Spirit of the Lord on them and could prophesy. <laughs> Moses was longing for the day that we live in where the Spirit is on, can come on every single individual. And why did, why did one other question, why did um, Peter choose Joel out of all the other ones? I think it's because of the emphasis of the empowerment for ministry in the book of Acts. And what we see here is that when the Spirit is poured out on an individual's life, uh, Joel makes the statement to say that we are given the gifts of utterance. We, we're given a supernatural like power to speak, whether it's tongues, prophecy, uh, dreams and visions and so on. And so one of the signs that is often accompanied with the baptism of the Holy Spirit is the activation of spiritual gifts. And we'll go through this in upcoming week with tongues but you should be, have your heart prepared this morning that when God touches you, that gifts that you've never stepped into will be activated in your life this morning. You should have hope for that, that that's part of what happens on the other side. And then as we steward it, we see these things, we see these things grow. You guys with me? Yeah. Um, you know, I actually want to, I'm going to have the worship team to come up, but I'm going to share one other verse. I wasn't sure I was going to share. I want to share it and then we'll pray. Worship team can come on up. And if the prayer team, even if the prayer team wants to just get ready, John chapter 7. And I'm going to read a verse in verse 37 to 39. So I just want you to, to track this for a moment. Jesus says, wait in Jerusalem for the promise of the Father. And now we see that going back to Isaiah, seven, eight hundred years prior to it, Jesus had in mind this. The people of God are groaning, longing. God, when will you restore? When will your face be turned towards us? When will you take us and our, our people and our land that's dry and barren? When will you pour out the Spirit and revive it? A few hundred years later, Ezekiel rise up and says, it's coming. <laughs> it's coming. A few hundred years later, Joel is probably put somewhere in the 500 to 400 range. Joel rises up and says, it's coming. It's coming. Then Jesus comes on the scene and Jesus just accelerates the anticipation for the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. Everything that you see in the Gospels is preparing the people. He's building expectation. You see John the Baptist say, look, I baptize with, with water. He says, but there's one coming who's going to baptize in the Holy Spirit. He was preparing the people for a coming day. Jesus had an encounter with a woman at the wells of Samaria. And it's an interesting uh, discussion, but there's a part in there that I find amazing. They begin to talk about worship. And she says, because I'm a Samaritan, I worship here. And because you're Jewish, you worship in Jerusalem. And Jesus says, there's an hour coming. There's an hour coming. He was preparing her heart. Well, it doesn't, where it doesn't matter where you worship, but you worship in spirit and in truth. A day's coming when the Spirit of God will raise up a people who are not restricted to a place. You go into the upper room discourse, John 13 to John 17. I encourage you to read it over and over. Jesus is preparing his disciples on the night that he would be betrayed. He keeps telling them, I'm going, but I promise I'm sending another. He says, it's to your advantage. Think about this, the bodily presence of Christ. And he says, it's to your advantage that I am taken away. For unless that happens, I cannot send the comforter. 
What was he doing? He was preparing them. There's a day coming. Another one is going to arrive. But there's one verse in particular out of all of these places where Jesus is stirring the heart for the promise. That's in John 7, verse 37. And I want you to hear the words of Christ. It says, On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Now he says it was on the last day, the great day. Why? I want you to hear what was happening. This is known as the Feast of Tabernacles. And it was a week-long feast. And it was the last day that was considered the great day. And what would happen on the last day and what was happening in this scene when Jesus stood up is the festival would end with priests performing this procession. They would go to the pool of Siloam and they would take a cup and they would scoop up water and then they would come before all of the people, the multitudes that were gathering, and they would pour the water out on the temple courts. And it was a twofold declaration. Number one, they were remembering when God had provided water in the wilderness for them. And number two, it was a prophetic declaration that there was a day coming when God would pour out the Spirit from the New Jerusalem when the Messiah comes. And so in the midst of this scene, as the priests are pouring the water out in front of everyone, Jesus stands up at that moment and he cries out and says, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me. He says, everything that's happening here points to me. And the scriptures actually say he stood up. For teachers sit. When Jesus went on the mount, a sermon on the mount, it says he got to the top of the mountain and he sat down. Teachers sit, but prophets stand. The reason why Jesus stood is he was taking a, a stance as a prophet. And he was declaring there is a day coming when your thirst will be quenched. Come unto me. And then in verse 38, he says, Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And as Jesus moves from verse 37 to 38, I believe there is a shift from now the indwelling spirit to the baptism of the Holy Spirit. For what he's saying now is you will not just have your own thirst quenched, he says, but you will be so filled that out of the deepest part of your being, rivers will begin to flow from your life. You, you will not only have your own thirst quenched, but you will become a source of life for others. Literally, the Spirit of God will flow through you. He said, whoever believes as the Scripture has said. What Scripture? It's amazing. There's actually not one particular Scripture we can find. And I believe it's, he's really summing up the entire testimony of Scripture which is that God's river was coming and it would flow like Ezekiel from the temple and whatever it touched would be restored and blessed. And we as the new covenant temple, we now have the hope of God's rivers flowing through us. That everyone we encounter, literally there is the hope of restoration and renewal, of healing, of the blessing of God coming upon their lives. And he says in verse 39 to close it out, he says this, he said about the Spirit. The whole thing he said was about the Spirit. Whom those, he believed, whom, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given because Jesus was not glorified. And so Jesus' promise about 
the Spirit of God welling up to rivers that were overflowing, he says, that has not yet happened yet because I have not yet been glorified. Which speaks to when he would go to the Father, then the door would be open for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So I'm going to ask you guys to stand with me. And actually, I, I want to I give room. The laying on of hands is very important. And we'll make space for that. But I actually want to give room, if you are desiring for the Lord, if you desire to be drenched in the Holy Spirit, literally to be immersed in the Holy Spirit, if you desire that your life would be a source for rivers of living water, uh, I'm going to invite you to come up to the altar. You can kneel, sit, stand, whatever you want to do. But before anyone lays hands on you, I'm just going to invite you to first have your own personal engagement with the Lord. And then as we're, as we're praying... Um, I'll ask the prayer team, whenever you guys are ready on the prayer team, we'll release you to go around and lay hands and just bless what the Lord is doing. If you feel like you've, uh, or you know for a fact that you've already encountered this pouring out, I want you to know the early church was filled again and again and again. There is more of God. Amen? So Lord, we pray right now that everything that you've stirred in our hearts, in worship, in the giftings of the Spirit, I pray right now that there would be a breaking in. And I pray that we would experience the promise of the Father this morning. I pray for those who have never experienced the baptism of the Holy Spirit, that God, you would come and you'd pour yourself out. Lord, I thank you for every dry place that's about to be filled. I thank you, God, for the deep encounters that are about to take place. I thank you for the spiritual giftings that you are going to activate, that we would be released to go in power, to proclaim your word and demonstrate that the kingdom of God is here and now. So Holy Spirit, I ask that you would ignite every heart with a faith that we live in the age of the promise. And that Father, your word says that if evil fathers know how to give good gifts, how much more do you know how to give good gifts? The Holy Spirit. So I want to encourage everyone here to not come as an orphan begging and pleading for God to look at you, but you are coming before a good father who desires to release his promise upon you. If you've never encountered Jesus, as Peter said, come and confess, turn your heart, turn your life to the Lord and the promises for you this morning.